This is Metrics and Chill, where you'll learn practical strategies to drive consistent and predictable growth. In this episode, Casey Hill shares a six-step framework to help you use email to improve activations during the onboarding phase. We covered how often you should send emails, how to think about your CTAs, subject lines, and hooks, segmenting at-risk users to bring them back into the onboarding, and steps you can take to get users to have their aha moment with your product or service even faster. I hope you enjoy it. All right, Casey, thank you so much for being willing to come on Metrics and Chill. Like I said to you before, uh, it's a big honor for me. You were, you've been a historic guest here. John Benini, our former director of marketing, interviewed you, but I've never gotten an interview. Uh, so I reached back out and I was like, hey, would you come on again? So thanks for being willing to jump on and super excited for our topic today. Excited to be here. Yeah, can't wait to get into it. So for listeners, we are going to be talking, uh, well, you have a new role, first of all, so you can you can kick us off and explain that, but we're going to be talking relevant to that role uh, and, and to the company you, you, you know, you're moving to. to uh, we're going to be talking about using email to drive activation. Um, and this is a use case I think a lot of listeners can learn from, will be able to apply. So yeah, um, you've just taken, what is it, senior, I have my notes here, senior growth manager at Active Campaign. Um, so what does that role entail? What's that looking like for you? Yeah. So really what this role is looking at is kind of a, a new look at demand generation from an organic standpoint. So we're looking to really build long lasting cumulative levers as an organization. Um, and that can look like a lot of different things. It could be owned assets from a newsletter to a podcast. It could be building um, dominance on a certain social channel. So exploring, can we get into Reddit? Can we get into Quora? Can we try nice. out things that aren't as common? Um, can we build micro products that might be able to give us long tail impact? Um, there's a whole bunch of different opportunities there. A community is another one. But the idea is to build something that continues to pay dividends over time. And it's not just kind of like a one-shot experiment or sometimes what happens with paid you put a bunch into paid, but when you turn it off, it's kind of a lever that just switches, right? And you're back to zero. So the idea is to see how you can have something um, that has impact for years to come. Awesome. I love it. I lo Like I said to you, you know, before we hit the record button, um, you know, it seems like more growth roles are going this way and I, I, it's exciting to see. Um, and this is something like organic or, you know, we, uh, essentially for us, organic content is our demand creation lever um, at Databox. This is something we've been thinking a lot about. So it's exciting. I'm excited to follow along with your journey on LinkedIn. Everyone should go follow you on LinkedIn, see, you know, learn from you and, and follow along as you as you work to grow active campaign. Um, all right. So today we're going to be talking about using email as a channel to drive activation. Let's start at like the most basic level. What do you mean when you say activation and who is this applicable to? Is this only for product companies? Is this only for product-led companies? Um, how should listeners think about the activation stage and how do you define it? Yeah, for sure. So I think this is especially applicable um, for software companies, for B2B companies, for companies, essentially someone comes on board right? They join in, they join your company, but they still need to hit this kind of, some people call it the aha moment, or some people call it kind of like the key inflection point. Essentially, they need to get to the spot of receiving value, right? So the term that's used a lot of times in industry is like TTV, time to value. So how do you get someone from when they first sign in, right? To that point where they're receiving value and they're kind of quote unquote activated 
And that's a key thing to make sure that person doesn't churn, they don't leave, they get through that onboarding process successfully, and they're now receiving value. So that's the way that I define activation is that phase between sign up and between receiving that value and kind of solidifying the relationship where they're then hopefully going to stay with you for a long time. Love it. Okay. Great summary. Um, one clarification before we get into it that I'd be curious to get your thoughts on is the activation or as some people call it time to value or aha moment that you're trying, you're using, uh, you know, we're going to talk about using email to get them to this stage, to get them to have this experience. Is this uh, getting value, any value at all from your product? Or is this tied to like the core value that your uh, product delivers, like the core promise it makes? For example, I'm thinking with Databox is a perfect example of a software company, product-led. Um, and so is this getting, you know, a user to experience the power of like drag and dropping a few metrics onto a dashboard and seeing how easy it is? Or is it getting them to uh, experience the data-driven growth that the platform can bring in benchmarking and forecasting and like all these things, if that makes sense? So is it is it like we just want to try and get users um, in and experiencing value in some form, however that comes to them? Or when we think about like, usually when I hear people talk about the aha moment, there's like a thing that a specific thing that, the, that indicates that a user is going to stick around for a long time. Yeah, it's a great question. I think that in general, the way I initially think about activation is that someone has done something significant enough in the platform that it creates some sort of staying power. And I know that's kind of a somewhat general answer. Sometimes it's like getting your first transaction where you're getting a, you know, someone pays for something. Sometimes it might be like, you know, setting something up and then being able to utilize it in a way where the user is excited and they're like, okay, I see where this is going. I don't, I don't think it means they have to materialize all the value of the platform, especially for complex platforms like Databox and like ActiveCampaign 2. There's a lot of different pieces that mm. ultimately they'll build into. I think, you know, I, I kind of think of it as you have an activation phase. And then after that, you have what I call a results or impact phase. And then after that, you kind of have a loyalty phase. I do a lot of work in churn reduction, and I think it's really valuable to break it up by those stages, right? So I often say, and this is somewhat variable timetable wise, but like zero to 30 days, right? We're really focused on activation. 30 to 180 days. This is where we're really drawing into a lot of the impacts, a lot of that kind of as you coined the the larger and broader, like getting results from the platform versus just kind of getting that initial behavior that encourages you to kind of keep pulling that person through. And so um, I don't think there's like a perfect answer because I think it is a little bit variable by business, but that's, that's kind of how I think about it. Okay, perfect. All right. Now you said that when it comes to using email to drive activation at a company, uh, there's like a hierarchy or like a yeah. framework you think about. There's certain things that need to be in place. Um, so walk me through, you know, like I, I'm a listener, I'm at a B2B company and I want to use email to get prospects to ex get a taste of that value that I, or the pain I can solve or the value my product or service offers as quickly as possible. What needs to be in place? What first steps am I taking? Yeah. Like walk me through this step-by-step. Yeah, great question. So I think the first thing, and this might be surprising to some people, but it's actually tempo or frequency. And the reason I start at tempo or frequency 
over segmentation or over, you know, subject lines or over the specifics of the content is I've done a lot of analysis and about a year, a year to two ago, I actually talked with dozens of people gathered all sorts of uh, information around how frequently they were contacting people, what their activation rates were, what their verticals were. And really what I found is that three to four contact points within the first two weeks is kind of the sweet spot. When you start stretching that and we look at the data for people that have six, seven, eight, nine, ten, we see this very much negative inflection that happens from too much contact. And the reason I start there is even if you're in, even if the stuff you send out is personalized, even if you have great subject lines, even if all these other pieces we're about to get into are great, if you are saturating people in the beginning with too much contact, they tune out. They stop checking yeah. it out. They stop really delving into the information. So one of the first things is I would really go look at your overall onboarding initial activation sequence and make sure that this is not too heavy. And if you find that you have eight, nine points there, I strongly encourage people to cull that down and try to keep that as tight as possible. Connected to this, I also think one of the other challenges I've seen with a lot of activation is that there's just so many CTAs. It's not targeted enough. It's telling people, go here, go here, go here. And it's not how people interact with email. People don't go to an email read number one, click on it, go do a thing, then go back to their inbox, go find the old, it's just, it's not intuitive, right? right? And so I think what's really critical here is for you to take down the number of CTAs and have it really targeted on the core thing you want them to do first and then second and then third and thinking about that really purposely. So that would be my my first um, step. And one question that I've gotten from a handful of folks I want to clarify is this is discounting transactional emails, right? So when I say three to four touch points in the first two weeks, this is not counting anything that's transactional, like confirming an email or yep. like verification based stuff. This is kind of more of the substantive content oriented stuff. So okay. at the top level, that's, that's one of the first uh, pillars that I think about. Now, below that, I go into personalization right? So personalization is super important. And this is something that I've fought for across, not just in onboarding, but so many different areas of marketing. And I think I might be a little bit of an outlier, but I strongly encourage people to gather more data, gather more data on your forms. And this is especially applicable when people are coming through the door, learning about their industry, learning about their key pain points is so valuable in you creating the right journey. So the second kind of pillar below the frequency I find is making sure that you're collecting the right information to make that a really impactful and meaningful journey. And obviously this is increasingly important the more diverse your customer base is. So I've worked across a lot of businesses that serve everyone from e-commerce to SaaS companies. And those are such different journeys and needs between those, those cohorts, right? So if you just serve one group, then maybe you would really tailor in on like, say the use case. Um, but especially if you're wide, like a lot of brands I've worked with having that vertical piece and understanding that is I think super critical. Um, so that's, I think uh, an important piece, um, there. The third thing is one of the problems that I've seen is once people start to set up personalization, oftentimes and this kind of relates back to point one, they don't do a good job of auditing their original flow and they're just additive. And so we made this mistake actually in one of my last startups. What I mean by this specifically is, let's say you have five activation emails, right? And then you say, oh, I wanna do personalization. So you add in two 
SaaS specific emails. Now you have seven, right? But they right. didn't remove the original stuff. So it's this additive process. And anyone who uses automation tools has probably fallen into this pitfall. You have a great idea, you add in a new flow, but you haven't culled the original flow. And so you're just getting more touch points. And it's one of the reasons why over time, SaaS companies tend to have this problem of too many touch points is because of this kind of like, I have inspiration, so I go there. So this is where it's really important for you to make sure that things don't stack up, for you to make sure that you're combining those, those um, customization pieces in with the core kind of activation parts of the journey. Right. Got so it. I think that that is definitely a really important piece. Now, connected to kind of that point. So now you're collecting the right information up front. You're personalizing the journey. You're making sure that you only have one to two CTAs. You're doing all those things. But now sometimes what people can lose is you start to lose some of the core activating behaviors if you're not careful. What I mean by this is you don't want to go so deep in the personalization that you're sending all these case studies and look how this customer did it, but you forget that the core thing they need to do is say set up their first template. The core thing they need right. to do is X, Y, Z. And what I've seen is when people start to personalize, sometimes they lose that core activating focus. So this is where it's really important to make sure that you have a blended approach. Personalization is important, but you can't lose that main thing you need that person to do, right? So as you're going through, make sure that you're keeping your eyes to what is the exact thing that individual needs to do in this sequence? And how can I blend that personalization by use case and by vertical in with that core activating behavior and make sure that isn't lost? And an extension of this is also what I see is people set up a series of emails that are not conditional. So the challenge there is, you set up, let's say that you're like, the first thing I really need this person to do is set up a template. After that, I'd love for them to connect an integration because I know that creates stickiness. After that, I'd love them to do other things. So you set up those three to four emails. But if they don't set up a template, what most people do is they just keep the drip going, right? right. So they just get the next one, they get the next one. They're not monitoring whether that person did the first behavior. So what I strongly recommend is set up an automated flow where you're making sure that if the person hasn't done that initial core behavior, you stay there. You need to work that person through until they do that first core thing before you go to two, three, four. Because if that person you know, skips, they get busy, and now suddenly they're on step four, it's messed up your flow, right? So I yeah. think that is, is hugely important. And so we're sending personalized stuff. We've now made sure to have kind of a blended approach. We're making sure we don't lose the activation. Um, the next thing, and this is kind of a true of email across the bat, is you want to be really intentional about your subject lines and even about your hooks. And it seems weird to say hooks with onboarding because people think of hooks more as this like grab attention. This is like a lead conversion mechanism. But the right. reality is, People have such an expectation of onboarding being this bland, generic, like, you know, a lot of people skip it. I know I use so many software platforms and I'm very selective about how I navigate around. Sometimes I won't read it at all. So what I think is super important is to tell people exactly what they're getting in the subject line and then have that hook really bring them into like, here's the problem and here's how you're addressing it with this specific thing. And so treat 
that initial subject line and hook almost as if you would uh, a newsletter that you're trying to convert leads where you really get intentional with the subject line and that hook. I see so many emails that that go out and they have during this activation journey and they have these pings of like, where did you go? Or want to make sure that you're, you know, and it's like this very <laughs> kind of general, whenever I see those, I just ignore them, right? Like they're, they're kind of this fluff. I don't know the value that I'm getting. And so this is like across the board with email, just get really intentional, right? Because when you think about like, if someone sends me an email and they say, use case of how company grew from one to 10 million using X. And that's the exact industry I'm in. And that's the exact stage that I'm in. And I know that I'm getting a use case of someone showing me how to do that thing. That's very specific, right? And so whether it's whatever the specific category is based on your business, give that some, some really good thought. And then the final piece of this is have kind of like at risk tags and tie in proactive mm. engagement. So as you see people starting to fall off, make sure that your team is being pulled in there. And, and I'm an advocate and I know I can get pushback from certain verticals because there's such a difference between like super wide SMBs or upmarket enterprise brands, but I love calling people. I love direct outreach and just trying to target people in that zone. And I get that if you have 50,000 customers coming in per month, maybe you don't have the bandwidth internally to do that. But wherever possible, make a direct personal connection. It's incredibly valuable. And if someone is at risk of falling off, that's your ability to bring them back into the fold and start to make sure you work them again to that first core activating behavior along that sequence. And so this is really as simple as identifying people that haven't logged in or haven't engaged with your initial onboarding content dropping a tag on that person and then having that trigger something with your team to take some sort of action. And again, really important, don't wait till the end. Don't wait mm. until week two of a two-week trial. Hit that if they haven't done anything within the first week, that is the inflection point where you want to bring that person on board. If you need to extend their trial, just do it, right? Make sure that they can get the full value from that trial. But that is... A lot of talking for me, so I'm going to stop now, but that's kind of six <laughs> stages of how I think about the specific ways that you can kind of bring optimization into that journey. Hey, just a quick interruption. In past episodes, you've heard guests give advice like... The first step is just like actually measuring and monitoring, right? Which sounds very fundamental, but a lot of companies don't even do that, right? If you ask for like, hey, do you have a monthly kind of report of like, what's happening in the funnel. It's like, oh, well, we have this over here and we have this over here and we have the traffic data and GA. So the first thing I think is like build out, you know, a presentation uh, that you're updating every single month. Or it's way easier if you have all this stuff being centralized somewhere and can look at it. And I promise that's completely unprompted. We try to book smart B2B leaders and learn how they're driving more predictable growth and they end up sharing advice like that. And Databox makes it easy to do all of that and more. You can track your marketing, sales, revenue, and CS performance all in one place. It lets you build custom dashboards and view metrics from over 80 tools side by side. You can schedule PDF reports that automatically update your data in real time and send to your team or your clients. You can even set up custom Slack alerts that alert you when you hit your goals or when numbers spike or dip. If you want to try it totally free, just go to databox.com or click the link in the show notes. Okay, back to the episode.
dang, this is incredible. This is what I've been doing while you've been talking. So I'm going <laughs> to look back at this chicken scratch and see if I can remember all my questions. Okay. Um, no, I love all of this. Actually, I want to follow up on, you know, we'll start with the most recent thing you said. Um, a lot to talk about here. With, with the tagging, um, is this do, is this basically like, would you say, I know you said a week. Is that like a good frame of reference that like, whether they're, you've got maybe three call to actions you want them to take in the first few weeks. Um, and so you're, you're, let's say you've got your segmentation and your automation or like you're, you're dripping them out and you're, you're withholding moving to the next thing till the one thing is done. Right. So like, let's say, you know, for example, they're supposed to integrate some tool and they do that. But then the second step is to, you know, build something build you know, build some component using one of your tools. Um, and they haven't done that yet. How many emails or how many times are you going to like, you're going to hit them. I'm, I'm assuming multiple times, maybe two, maybe three times with different angles or different ways of saying, Hey, go do this, you know, and tying it to the, to the business value. You're going to drive treating it like a newsletter. Like you said, how many emails do you recommend generally trying before tagging? Like, cause they might take action on the second or third reminder. Right. So like, yeah. How many times would you try before you tag them and do some manual outreach to see if they're stuck? Like, hey, do you need help with this? Yeah, for sure. So the first thing I'd say on that is I would still hold true to the the first uh, kind of principle that I put in around frequency, meaning that that four email mark is still what I would hold. And that includes like reminders, right? So if if that person did first behavior, but they haven't done two or three, I wouldn't be hitting them with five reminders, right? I would keep that tempo because again, I think you have the same okay. saturation problem. I would, however, strongly recommend to use those subject lines purposefully, whether you're saying we have an expert on staff that can help set this up on a call with you, like book it, like you can play with different models of like psychology of loss or handholding or like all these different ways you can support them. But that would be the first thing I'd say, but to your kind of specific question around frequency, and that can, this can be different based on trial duration, right? I mentioned two weeks, but some people it's 30 days, some people it's seven days. So there's going to be variability. And, and so adjust some of these comments that I'm making based on the fact that I'm using a two week time frame, And obviously that could be extended in, in different ways. Um, but what I would say is the general rule of thumb that I use for like an at risk tag is essentially like seven days of silence of lack of inactivity and engagement, opens, clicks, activations within the software from their last point of activity. So what that Got means it. is like, if on day one, they set up an integration and then you have that second email that hits them, you know, a couple of days later, reminding them about stage two, they don't respond mm -hmm. to that. And now seven days have elapsed from that. That would be the point where I would have the tag at risk trigger within the system. And I would have someone then reaching out. Same thing. If they, if they did it on, th on day three, they set up that first integration, it would be day 10 that I would apply that tag. And then I would be proactively reaching out. And so usually within that, within that time frame, it would be one to two emails will have hit between that, right? If we think three to four emails is our ideal amount of touch points, then usually after that first kind of email, you might have email two and maybe email three, right? They would yeah. hit before you kind of have that proactive um, outreach from the team. And with that, I would, again, if you're going to send, if you get to the point where you're sending kind of two emails on either side, try some different overall psychology around the value proposition, right? Because mm -hmm. different people don't activate, like the, the buried activation can come from different things. 
It could be ease of use is the problem. There should be some contingencies on their side that they haven't worked out or departments they need to bring in. Or, you know, sometimes there's permissions, right? Yep. We need to get permissions from IT to, you know, you know, and so make sure that you're cognizant of that as a team. And when you message them, you're trying to remove that barrier however you can, right? You're trying to expedite that however you can. And so that that's kind of the general way I think about that. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Super helpful. Um, yeah. You know, the tempo frequency thing. So that's kind of like the hard and fast cap. And that would apply. I'm guessing that should apply even... I know there are companies that have sort of the automated onboarding flow that triggers when like you sign up and then they've got kind of like a sales force that will reach out if you look like an extra good fit, right? Or maybe there's like an enterprise plan or like some higher tier plan and you fit, you know, the ICP for that higher tier plan. Like I'm, I'm like for an example, like a Shopify, very product led, but then like if you fit the tier for Shopify plus, right, maybe there's a sales force that's going to like start to do some outreach and, and hit you up. So this three to four emails in two weeks, that would include that too, right? So like you'd want to sync, would you consider that in conjunction with any sales team or BDR team that's reaching out? Or do you consider those separate? Like, cause I, I feel like that could be a huge thing is like marketing gets the whole flow set up. You like work with product. You're like, sweet. You know, we've got four, no more than four emails in two weeks, but then all of a sudden, like you forget that BDR is like going to hit them up twice in additional. And then you're going to like, you know, break that ceiling. A hundred percent. So this kind of applies to that principle that I was talking about where when people add personalization and then they still have the core flow, it often gets saturated. In some ways, it's the exact same logic that you've described. The differentiation I would make here is very intentionally looking at email frequency in this overall hit. If someone wants to call a customer, if they want to go on the phone and hit someone up, I think that's separate from this kind of like overall onboarding fatigue that someone experiences. But if your BDR is emailing them twice and saying like, let me help you get set up. And then your activation emails are going out and saying, let me help you get set up. It's just, there's two major problems here. We have the frequency problem and we also have the subject line problem. Let me help you get set up. Let me, it's just like the same rote. It's kind of the same as the, uh, you know, what's happened. Where are you? You know, like the same kind of general, you need to be really intentional with that value right? Saying, I want to help you get set up. Well, like if they wanted to get set up, they would be reaching out and they'd be working with you to get set up. Like there's some barrier and you just sending them a general like reminder is not what is adding value in that situation. You need to think about why is that person not taking that action and have something that is helping expedite. That's why, Hey, like we have this expert on the team who can help hop on and we can set up this API piece for you, or we can set up your C name or we can, you know, whatever technical piece remove those barriers. So again, to kind of answer the question, if it is outside of the purview of email, calling, interacting in other ways, okay. Still be aware of that sequencing, right? Don't send, you know, don't call them and have that be the exact same thing the email is. But I think definitely what you should not do is have a BDR team not keyed into your cadence and sending the same generic touch point disconnected from it. Why do you think... This tempo frequency thing is like, you're so right by far. I I use a lot of software products. I'm cognizant of this. Like I'm always kind of reverse engineering how I'm responding to marketing and various things. I think a lot of marketers are right. Um, And so this is something I just did a LinkedIn post about this. I actually was like testing out a newsletter tool just personally for fun to, to try it out. And, um, and I, have been like inundated with these onboarding emails and 
I was surprised because I was like, this is kind of like a modern like company. Like I would consider it to be a bit more innovative and like on the cutting edge side. And it surprised me how much and how um, irrelevant or like untied to like the value I wanted out of the thing was going to be like very little yes. was tied to like the results I would be using a newsletter for, right? Which like as a creator, right, might be like, uh, you know, build your personal brand and or get sponsors and get more money. Like some of that stuff's there, some of it's not. But what do you think it is with... um why do so many companies break this? Like what's the, it's almost like they think that they're one of the only companies you're going to be hearing from in the first few weeks. And they're unaware that this could be happening with three other tools at any given time. And it actually does have the, cause I want to highlight, I'm highlighting this because I think what you said is true. It it's not neutral and it's not maybe just leads to lower open rates. I actually think in me, I've noticed it creates like, a pulling away effect. Like I'm like, uh, mm -hmm. you're like, you said you were product led, but you really, you're just using emails to try and close me faster and push me through the door. And I'm not ready. And I'll, I know where you are when I'm ready. And so like either find out why I've stalled out and then address that. But like you continuing to hit me from every angle, just cause you think it's like a different way to approach me is actually putting me off from this product. Yeah, hundred percent. So I think the reason that it happens is, is in my opinion, pretty straightforward. And this is a problem with a lot of marketing. It's checking the box, right? You bring people in, they know what they're supposed to have. I'm supposed to have a newsletter. I'm supposed to have an onboarding sequence that touches people that tells them to activate this, this, and this, like people know the things in industry that they're supposed to do, right? Like that, that, yeah. that checking the box behavior is a core problem. And I'm really glad you brought up newsletters. I mean, we could do a whole other episode around newsletters can have very strong opinions on that as well. But I think that the challenge is, again, it's this expectation versus reality problem. When people opt in for newsletters, I, I strongly recommend for people to do the following thing. Number one is set an expectation of exactly when you're going to contact them and exactly what you're going to send. So the best newsletter from my experience say, I'm going to contact you every Friday at 9am PST. I'm going to send you a growth use case and three ways that you can apply that growth use case. That is all I'm sending you. That's exactly what it's going to be about. And when you do that, you flip the script because people in our industry have gotten used to 20% open rates, one, 2% click through rates. Like they have this bar that they've set based on industry standards. And, you know, when I ran my newsletter around growth corner, I was getting 70 plus percent open rates and 15 to 20% click through rates right on that consistently for 20 plus emails. And part of that was just getting really intentional with exactly what that person was getting when they were getting it. And also expanding your thought when it comes to newsletters and this kind of piece around conversion, stop just trying to push people through the door, right? Take a step back and say, what is genuinely valuable? One of the great things I love to do is grab outside content. It, it, you know, if I'm talking about pricing, I'm going to go profit well paddle blog. And I'm going to be pulling in information there, mm. right? I might be sending people to podcasts like Lenny's podcast or 20VC or set like all these different things. Databox is a great one as well. If they're in that B2B world, link to other people's content to try to solve a problem. The brilliance of this is when you're not being promotional and you genuinely are trying to provide the best content resources, you can be smart and you can actually still be tagging people based on engagement. You can be learning about them. You can be forging a better journey, right? But yeah. through that process of forging a better journey, you are doing it in a way that is non-promotional, is building trust through that process. 
right? So when you think about newsletters, I mean, that that's just a very strong thing is like, set that expectation, let them know exactly what they're going to get. And, and don't do exactly what you described. This like pushing people through the door, getting messages whenever, and also being disconnected from the original promise. I signed right. up because I wanted A and now you're in this whole other zone. That's not where you wanted. That's not where you want to go. Yeah. The part about highlighting others in it is going to have uh, Pete jumping up and down and, and uh, shouting on this. So he'll, he'll love to hear that segment. Um, yeah, no, this is, I, I completely agree. And um, I want to like, I want to jump to like a specific example for listeners. So, you know, I, I'm trying to think of other software products. So I don't sound like I'm shilling uh data box, but like, so spark Toro, mm -hmm. um, we, you know, great, great product, great use case. So when on this, on the part where you said, treat your subject lines, this was a step five, I think, treat your subject lines, uh, like a newsletter can you know, be considerate of your subject lines and your hooks. Um, would this be something like you're leading in your subject lines? So I've got a call to action, this email, this particular email in the sequence, it might be email two, three, assuming they're going through and actually doing the steps. Yeah. Every email, no more than four per week uh, or, or four every two weeks is tied to a call to action. I'm trying to get them to take, to get them to activate and taste value in the product. And so my subject lines and hooks, are they, are you writing those similar to how you would write like a headline for the product page maybe, right? So like with Spark Toro, which, which is an audience research platform, right? It would be something like, um, I, I think Amanda said one of the first things they try and do is like get their audience to like make a search, right? So maybe it would be something like find out where your audience is hanging out in three seconds or, you know, find out where your audience spends time so you know where to invest. Like something tied to like the, it's a little bit of like the what and the value, like the what and the why. Is that kind of how you're thinking about these subject lines and when you say angles or correct me if I'm off base here? No, I think that's exactly right. I mean, at, at a broad level, and this sounds so trivial, but at a broad level, just make sure that whatever your subject line is, the person knows exactly what they're going to get. I know that sounds silly because you're like, well, duh, but that's not how most subject lines are. People yeah. are so into mystery and curiosity and all these other things that we've gotten away from just what exactly am I going to get? When my inbox is flooded, when I'm deleting 90 plus percent of my emails, which I do because I just get so much fluff, that initial subject line and that preview text matters so much. And what I just want to know is what exactly are you going to deliver in this thing? So the example you just said about knowing your audience and you know use this thing to know in three seconds, like, boom, I know what I'm going to get. And you can use other things to explore or expand on that. But that one principle of looking through all your onboarding and making sure that is very explicit and clear will carry a lot of value. I think you have to tie it to, to the value because this is another area where I see, especially like SaaS tools go wrong is they, like the marketing team wants you to do a certain thing so that you like raise your lead score or activate sooner. But that's not the same thing as like telling me why I should do it. You know what I mean? So like what they'll do, like they, like you can tell, like they've got a map of like, we need them to, you know, like sync this thing, build this widget, do, you know, take this action, make this search, whatever it may be. And so the thrust of the email and the subject line is like, make a search, like, cause it's like, that's what we need you to do so that you activate faster versus like taking the thing you need them to do 
and saying, well, why should they want to do this? What pain will this solve for them? What value will it bring their business today? How will it make them more money or save them time or help them market better or make better decisions? And then like lead with that so that you like, yeah, they're doing the thing you need them to do, but you're not leading with that. And that's like, so I can see it go the other way too. Like, I think that's the two areas we're maybe highlighting here is like one is too much fluff and they'll, they like, they go for broke on the open rate. Like they want to make it so mysterious that you click, but then like activation and engagement slow because you just trick them and you like lied to them. Or on the other hand, it's too wooden. It's too literal. It's like, yeah, you're just literally telling them to do the thing you want them to do, but without t- giving any carrot at the end of it. Exactly. And so the example there is like, if someone, if you just say like setup integration, right? Like, yeah, that, that, so, so that's a caveat to kind of what I said. Yeah, it's explicit. You're saying setup integration, but it's like, why exactly you said, what, right. what's the value? Why am I doing this thing? So I a hundred percent agree with what you said. All right. Awesome. Um, okay. One last thing I want to cover before we get into some, I mean, this is, this has been incredibly thorough. You laid this all out really well. Um, I want to touch on one more thing before we get into some rapid questions and, and wrap up. Um, you were talking about this is especially email is useful for all these companies that want to get their user to an activation stage to get a taste of the reduce the time to value as quickly as possible and get them to have that aha moment using the product or the service um when you mentioned early on that some businesses have the specific challenge of having a really broad customer base, right? Active campaigns, probably one of these data boxes, one of these, I think spark Toro is one of these, like any of these companies where there's not necessarily a ton of uniformity, maybe on like the industry. Um, maybe there's even a broad scope and company size. Cause they're using it in different ways. Yeah. In that sense, can you use, do you recommend maybe narr- like tr- you talked about supplementing data in order to make this more personalized, um, what are your thoughts on trying to go hyper personal, like fight, like, you know, off the top of my head, finding it, finding the job title, maybe you've got three personas that use your product for three different reasons. Are you going to try and map the job title to that job titles, primary use case and the pains they're trying to solve and almost have a completely different campaign around it? Or do you ever see companies be successful unifying around the qualitative reason all these people are here. In other words, instead of niching on maybe job title or on company industry or something, maybe what they all have in common is, you know, they all want to use data to grow or they all need to know where their customers hang out so they can make better marketing decisions or they all need a better email provider. And so you can niche down on the specific reasons why they chose you, the differentiation, why they like active campaign, the qualitative reasons they're here. How, how do you think about that balance? Like I could see creating an activation campaign that just targets around those niches, around those qualitative use cases. Like we're all here for the same common reason to use these things. And I could also see a case being made for like, yeah, there's three main personas at companies that use active campaign or three different sizes of companies that use active campaign. And they're so different that we really need to like make them hyper differentiated. Yeah. I mean, my thought is what it really comes down to like, what is actionable? And what I mean by that specifically is let's take the example of an e-commerce brand. There's an e-commerce brand and you, you could come in and you could say, you know, these e-commerce brands have similar things. They want to run abandoned cart. They want to upsell. They want to do X, Y, Z. But the reality is that a 100 million or even a 10 million e-commerce brand is so fundamentally different 
in the applications of how they operate that how they're going to use a tool like Active Campaign is going to be wildly different in terms of the integrations they use, in terms of how they operate inside the CRM. And so in those cases, having a size-based criteria that pulls in a substantively different journey, I think would be important. And, and, and I think this applies to a lot of different verticals. So what I would think when you're drawing those criteria is you have all these different pieces. You have job title, you have company size, you have industry. I would just be thinking about how different is my user journey, right? How different is my user patterns? And hopefully you know that you have some customer data. You can look at your big enterprise customers. You can look at your small customers and just think about which of those is the most valuable. It might turn out the size might be one of the biggest, right? Oftentimes the organizational hurdles for a 10,000 person company are so different than a 1,000 person company that might rise all the way to the top in terms of your customization journey. But, but in other cases, it might not, right? In other cases, you might look at a tool and you might say, look, fundamentally, when I'm using SparkToro, it's about getting XYZ pieces of data and it's not massively different. Whereas mm -hmm. in another style business, because they're tying in an integration with Salesforce and because they're bringing in all these other things that are very specific to, I'm enterprise, I need these security things, I need this, you know, all these different pieces. I think that would be the way that I would think about it. I would divide, because that's a question, actually, it's a really good question because it comes up all the time. People ask me that exact thing. Casey, what do I sort by? You say personalization, but personalization by industry, by use case, by size, by role. And, and my best way of thinking about that, because it's variable, is to take a step back, look at your own customer data and answer how different are the usage patterns and make hmm. it based on that. Okay. Okay. Love this. This has been awesome. Um, all right, let's get into some fun. We'll have three uh, lightning round questions for you at the end here. We ask these of every guest. Um, short questions, short answers. However, whatever comes to mind, some are purposely fairly open-ended. Um, number one, what are three desert island metrics? You can only track three. Uh, what, are you, what are you picking? Yeah, it's a good one. Um, the first one that jumps to mind is NRR net revenue retention. So basically this is looking at in a, in a patch of time, your kind of compression of accounts versus your expansion of accounts. And I think it's just a super important metric, especially right now in 2023, when, you know, if you're VC backed, like you've definitely heard this metric come up more and more, there's a big focus towards efficiency, right? And as we're seeing some headwinds around acquisition, I think that that one is really important. Another one that I like to track, which is I think a lot less common is LVR, lead velocity rate. So the idea is one of the problems I've seen, and this is especially true of startups, you test like say a vertical idea and you try to see how much traction you can get in say your a new segment, like let's say charities as an example. And let's say that you had, you were getting 50 leads before and then you do all this stuff and you get 55 leads the next month. At face value, a lot of times people are like, well, I'm not going to do this. Like, forget this channel. I added five more leads. Like, that's not worth it. But that's a 10% LVR. And if you can stack that for six months in a row, like, you can see how these things can start to build. And so, mm. you know, Saster has talked about how they kind of have their North Star at a 10% LVR rate. I like that as a way generally to, to kind of look at and, and to understand things. And then a third one, and, and it's a little bit connected into the NRR piece, but uh, churn. I mean, I, I think churn is such a key metric again with right now where the focus is efficiency. Yeah. So many folks don't, I think, really internalize or realize what a four to 5% month over month churn translates to. 
And when you start to think about losing 50, 60% of your revenue out the door, I mean, it's a complete game changer in your business. If you can move that needle, even by half, like, you know, 0.5 basis points, um, it's huge. So that those would be three that I would, I would think of off the top of my head. Love it. Uh, number two, finish this sentence. Data is. Uh, the first thing that came to mind was everything, which just seems like kind of a bad, like general <laughs> answer. But, but what I'll just say really quickly on this is I think unique data sets in our current age are one of the biggest competitive advantages as a company you can have. And I won't go on a full digression on AI here, but understand that access to unique data points is what feeds AI. It's what feeds LLMs. And with the future going where it's going, you want to be in possession of as much unique data as you possibly can, because that is what will help you outcompete your competitors. Um, so I'll leave it at that, but hugely important. Number three, your number one tip for B2B leaders who are trying to drive more predictable, consistent performance quarter over quarter, year over year. Yeah. Again, and, and these are these are kind of general ones, but the first thing that comes to mind from my experience is, is just to be really intentional with your team, right? Like to me, everything boils down to your team, having the right folks, making sure that the people that you put in positions of leadership are steering the ship in the right direction. I think that as companies go through different growth phases, they sometimes find that what they need fundamentally changes. And if you have mm. a great employee, maybe it's about shifting them into another role where you keep them on board, but you bring in another person to lead this other section of the business. But I believe so strongly that B2B growth is so tied to having that A-team lineup. And the efficiency that comes out of true A players, which I think are a lot more rare than people think they are, is astronomical, right? And, and these people pay you immense dividends. And so I would say that as a leader, as a founder, as a CEO, or as a C-class executive who's handling you know, the important hires, think really hard about the people that you bring on and the people that you're putting into leadership positions, because that tr trickles down into everyone else on the team and if that person is visionary and motivated and is galvanizing everyone at the company on a consistent basis, um, that's going to be hugely impactful. So I, when I think about growth, it all starts at people level. Awesome. Casey, this has been uh, every bit as fun and as practical and informative as I was hoping. Thank you again uh, for being willing to come on. Where can people go? Well, first of all, uh, Give the give the elevator pitch for active campaign. Who should go check it out? Who where, where can they go do a free trial? Yeah, for sure. So activecampaign.com. If you guys want to go check out, you can hop on and, and do a free trial. And one of the things I love about Active Campaign, I actually my last role, I've used it for the last three plus years before coming on board. I was on MailChimp for email and I was using HubSpot free CRM. One of the reasons I came over to AC was just a really simple consolidated spot for all the data. So one of the things we looked at is like we use segment heavily to look at what was happening inside of our app. And it had like a really nice native integration in with AC. And we just could plug in all the points of our business and Calendly had a really nice native integration. And, you know, Bonjoro was part of the CX apps marketplace. So it had a nice native integration. So I think that if you're looking for one consolidated spot to have your kind of source of truth, that I think is a huge advantage of a tool like active campaign. Um, and if anyone has any questions, you can always come also find me on LinkedIn, Casey Hill. Um, I post 
very frequently, probably too frequently since the last <laughs> algorithm change. I'll say. But um, but yeah, find find me there. Go go in, set up a trial if you want. We have an open trial, meaning no CC up front. If you want to go in, test a few campaigns, plug a few things in. Um, and yeah, it's a great system. Awesome. We'll link to everything in our show notes. Go follow Casey, like I said, on LinkedIn. Shares great insights and thoughts. One of the more valuable, you know, it LinkedIn uh, can tend to have some fluff and vagueness and Casey's posts are not that. So go follow Casey on LinkedIn. Um, and yeah, thank you again for coming on. Thank you so much, Jeremiah. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.